You're listening to the rebroadcast of an episode of The Ragged Edge. My name is Richard Stone. I think that the effect of social media is to pull us apart and to have us think that the way we think is the only thing that makes a lot of sense. A listener suggested that I visit with someone who could talk sensibly about the wedge that politics have driven into our country. So I called up a longtime acquaintance, Dr. John Elwood. He's a clinical psychologist who practices in Temple, Texas. We talked about how social media has simply driven us further apart, how to talk to your crazy uncle, and the value of camping in the rain. We'll get to that interview in a minute. But first, this. If you tuned in this week expecting something new, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm exploring a new storytelling format, well, new to me at any rate. So I'm taking a couple of weeks away from my interviews to see if I can figure out how to report, record, edit, and process this new thing. Uh, Wish me luck. I'll be back soon. But in the meantime, here's my interview from October with Dr. John Elwood. Well, Dr. John Elwood, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So I often start my interviews by asking uh, in these days how you folks are holding up. How are you and your family holding up with, uh, uh, I don't know if you're having to quarantine anymore or anything like that. but Well, everybody's healthy, which I'm glad for. And two of my three kids are employed and one is contemplating a career change. Ah. So it's a, it's a bit of a stressful time for everybody, I think. But on the whole, I have nothing to complain about because everybody's alive and well. That's good. That's good. Glad to hear it. So. So I had a particular reason to talk to you, but before I get into that topic, I wanted to ask you something else. And it does relate to COVID-19 and the quarantine and the pandemic. I'm, I'm very interested in how people are bearing up under this. And I think a lot of people are. And you're in a unique position with the kinds of the, the people that you talk to and the, and the intimate relationship you have with them, that you could tell us something about how, just in general, the people out there are holding up with this. Well, I think that all of us feel some kind of COVID stress that cycles back to not having our usual level of social contact with other people. And that includes not being able to touch, not being able to hug. Even if you see a friend and you talk to him, you're talking to him from a distance, might be wearing a mask, you can't see their whole face. It's just not as satisfying as greeting a friend and you're inviting him in your home and sitting around talking and having a drink of some kind. You know, I mean, it's just not as fulfilling. So I would say pe- people who keep themselves more isolated, more safe, I think they're under more stress. And I, what's one of the things I encourage people to do is try and be safely creative, you know, where you go over and visit some friends and sit in their backyard in the wind. And that's a pretty safe way to carry on a conversation. Bring whatever you're going to drink with you so they don't have to touch any of your glasses or anything like that. It can work out pretty well. Right, right. We actually have a pod of friends who we know that they we trust what they do and, and how, they, how they behave. And every couple of weeks or so, we do that very thing. We sit in the backyard. We kind of distance ourselves on lawn chairs and everybody brings their own and we sit back there and, and visit for a bit. I've seen this meme on social media about, you know, when this whole thing is over, man, the divorce rate is going to go through the roof. <laughs> Are relationships holding up? Well, stress of any kind. If, you're, if your relationship's already in trouble, then it's not going to make it better. My father used to say, never marry anybody until you've gone camping with them in the rain. 
because if you can survive that, you can survive anything. And I, I do think that it's stressful on marriages. It's more stressful. I can't imagine how people in apartments are, are doing this, you know, but uh, if you have activities that you do in different parts of the house, it helps so you don't drive each other crazy. I guess ask any retired person and they can tell you how important it is to have both alone time and together time. So the reason I did want to bring you on and talk to you has to do with the supercharged political atmosphere that we're all living in right now. Um, right. I'm talking to you on the Wednesday after early voting started. And yesterday, just about every community, just about every county set a record for early voting turnout. So there's a lot of pent up need to do something, I think, positive, maybe uh, in, in the political sphere. I know that in my own life, there are people that I have trouble talking talking to, who two years ago, we were good, I won't say best friends, but we were good friends. So we could carry on a civil conversation. And right. sudden, not even suddenly, but over time, you can't talk to him anymore because, you you know, either you fear bringing up that topic that would send the conversation into a tailspin or you fear that they'll bring up that topic that'll send somebody into a tailspin. Yeah. Help us learn how to we need to learn how to talk to each other again. You know, there's this wedge that is that has been driven into families and friendships and things like that. And that's why I wanted to talk to you, uh, somebody who addresses this sort of stuff with compassion and, um, you know, at least as I recall, a sense of humor, even if it was a bit weird sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you look back over the last few years, there are some very interesting things happening in terms of people's communication. Uh, and a lot of it centers around the Internet and the social media effect on, on all of our lives. One of the things that has struck me about the you know the texting and the conversational chat rooms where you where you're leaving printed words people will leave things in print that they would never say to a person to their face rude things harsh things and people get their feelings hurt and then the person that said them is surprised you know and that i think that uh, before you send anything off to somebody read it aloud hear how it sounds because I, I think we all need to be careful about that then in the development of the broader social media like Facebook and and its other programs like that on your on your computer, they are set to sort out what is going to keep us listening or watching for the maximum amount of time. In other words, they want to keep us engaged. And how they do that is they find out what you're interested in and they start sending you things that fit your viewpoint. So each of us then is, it's easy to get stuck in your own echo chamber of the things you already know and already believe. And the things that these companies are sending to you, they are sending it to you because you spend time with it. That's their only criteria. They haven't been interested in what's true. They aren't interested in fact checking anything. So I, I think that over time here, you, there used to be, when I was young, the, and I'm 69 now, when I was young, there was a lot of overlap between uh, the two parties in terms of they each had a center and, a, and then more toward the right and more toward the left in each group. But there were a lot of people in the center that basically agreed on many of the same thing. And I think that the effect of social media is to pull us apart 
And to have us think that the way we think is the only thing that makes a lot of sense. So like it has so, so like it has sorted us into homogeneous bubbles that yes. there's very little overlap between those bubbles. Yeah. So I had a contractor over to look at a building project that I got going and I don't know who he's voting for and he doesn't know who I'm voting for. And he turns to me and he says, well, the way I see it in this in this election, there's really no choice. Well, I said to him. I think no matter who you're voting for, that's the way we tend to see it. The only logical choice is the one I've already made. <laughs> yeah, and the extension of it is that if you don't agree with me, you're either stupid or uninformed. And then it's my job to fix your stupidity. <laughs> right. One way or the other, either I'm going to inform you and, you know, you're not going to like having yeah. having that, that knowledge rammed down your throat un, uh, uninvited or you're just too stupid to learn one of the two. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and there's not there's not much middle ground. So given that and given that and, and in today's society, families no longer live in the same community or rare don't often live in the same community anymore. I know that's the case in my family and I'm, I know it's the case in yours. But yeah. that when you do get together and those and those disparate political viewpoints have had time to firmly seat and I don't want to say fester, but but take hold. Then yeah. when families do get together. Together, or friends do get together. It makes for very fraught family holidays, if absolutely nothing else. Yeah, challenging. Yeah. So, it, how would you advise people to approach, say, a family holiday? Thanksgiving's coming up. The holiday season's coming up soon. Hopefully, we will be able to gather at least a little bit at that time. Although some of the numbers we're seeing right now seem kind of startling, and it may not be as good of an idea as we might have thought it would have been right. a month or six weeks ago. But given that, what advice would you give to people going into those kinds of situations? Where they know they know that Uncle Joe is is a is a screaming liberal and Aunt Martha is a unrepentant Trump supporter and you, you know that this is going to happen and you're going to be involved in it too because you have your own views and you have your own own feelings. How how would you advise people to approach those things? Well, I would say first of all, remember that the people at that dinner are people you care about, and we don't want to poke people just to make them mad, knowing that it's not going to be a, a good outcome. So I would say that maintaining a civil conversation is your goal. And that many times the way things are now is to just not talk about things you know are going to cause problems. That doesn't mean that you always have to avoid things that might be you view differently. I have found that when I'm talking to somebody who's I know is a friend of mine or a relative, as long as I stick to what we want for our families, we're all pretty similar. We all want the best for our families. We want them to attend good schools. We want them to have opportunities. And you can discuss that kind of at a at a, it's a philosophy, you know, what do you want out of life sort of thing. But then that's a can be a totally different thing from who you're going to vote for. I think the, it's hard to talk philosophy with people who are too part, you know, where all they want to do is push a point of view. And so if you can talk about issues that are important, and I think it's important that we do have those conversations. And it's also important that we hear opinions that are different from our own. That can be very difficult. I, I will also say one of the things that I have been astonished with talking to my patients is how many people read things on the internet that just aren't true and they never check the facts, you know? So if, if somebody tells you something and you know that it isn't true, I have whipped out my phone sometimes and say, oh, really? Let me check on that. <laughs> You know, and how, how has that gone for you sometimes, John? <laughs> actually, you know, it, 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 most people settle down. Some people get really angry. 
So how far do you want to take those conversations? One, one of my physician friends from long ago used to say, I never gained a patient by talking politics. And, and I, I like that, you know. So I try and sidestep that some people, some people won't let you, you know. Um, again, given this, once we get past November, and it might take past January, right, for, for the superheated environment to cool off a little bit, both on a personal level and on societal level, how are we going to heal these rifts? Or, or can we? Well, I think the day after the election or two months after the election, nobody's opinion is going to have shifted too much. You know, the people that, that lose are still going to be bitter and the people that are happier are still going to be jubilant. So uh, I think that I think there has to be a restoration of civil conversation about political matters. And frankly, I think that process is going to be very difficult. But there are paths. For example, I was listening to this one gal talk on National Public Radio about climate change. And she is somebody who goes around and tries to initiate changes in people's behavior uh, in the direction of sustainable energy and so forth. And she said, I have found that as long as I don't bring up the topic of is human activity bringing about global warming, we all can agree that reducing CO2 emissions would be helpful. Fair point. Yeah, Fair point. you work your way around it. You find you find your way through. And so I think we've got to have more of that common ground finding activities. And I mean that both from the individuals on up and from leadership on down. And I think I think it's critical. It's, it's You can't have democracies that can't speak. Right. You can't. Yeah. If the different tribes can't communicate, can't agree on a common on common definitions. Yes. That, that sometimes that communication sometimes becomes very difficult. You were talking about social media and uh, false information or misleading information or disinformation or just plain wrong information. I've spent 30 years in the newspaper business fighting that very thing. And I will tell you that the last five years has been, I mean, this started before the current administration, but the last five years has been incredibly difficult to push back, at least in the social media setting. Again, the written words, right? People are typing words and sending them on out into the ether and, and, and they, yeah. they go where they go. That simple misinformation is just so difficult to, to, to push back on successfully. Um, you know, living in homogeneous groups, which increasingly we are, although that's there's a, there's been a shift in the last decade or so from that. Let's also keep in mind that back in the early 60s, they were all Democrats. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> not even, John, not even that long ago. <laughs> I think Rick, I think Rick Perry made the shift in the late '80s, early '90s. <laughs> Really? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it was I think it's in the 80s. They were Democrats. You get into the Joe Strauss's of the world. He would have been obviously a Democrat 25 years, 30 years ago. Um, right. And certain wing of the Republican Party considers him didn't even really consider him a Republican as a case in point. Uh, I read something about homogeneous groupings and how we have self-sorted. And this was going on before social media, but self-sorting into into like-minded things where you never see a somebody who holds a different political viewpoint, you lose the respect for that political viewpoint pretty much, period. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. It's interesting how whole states have migrated, you know, and the elections are being decided by a very small group of states. They do tend to become 
more homogeneous over time. And, that, you know, at the family level, I, I was reading this thing talking about selecting partners, romantic partners. And uh, we also tend are tending to select people to marry based in part upon their political views. And the, the people toward the, the left-leaning people are actually more extreme about on that trait than people on the right. That's interesting. Uh, I, had not, I had not thought about that, but I, I think that maybe uh, I can't disagree with that at all. Yeah, it does eliminate one big potential source of conflict. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and for some relationships, that's probably a good thing. I know that, that yeah. me and my wife are, if we didn't have religion or politics to talk about, I'm not sure we'd have anything to talk about. We feel the yeah. exact same way on both of them. I mean, the differences between us are minuscule compared to the differences between me and, say, uh, the fellow who runs the big plumbing company in town here, who I'm, I'm, I love dearly, but who's politics I absolutely cannot stand. Well, one of my son's in-laws, one of the one of the people is a Trump person, one is a Democrat, and uh, they just, what they tell me is they just don't talk politics very much at all. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. My, my, my mom and dad were of opposite political philosophies. You know, I grew up in the 60s, and yeah. um, so mom didn't say much. Yeah, but dad did. Dad, dad talked an awful lot about politics, and he and I had great debates and great conversations. Or, uh-huh. as I sometimes fondly refer to it as the Archie meathead for, for from Texas. Uh, Dad was not really Archie, but he played the Archie role, and I wouldn't really meathead, but I played the meathead role. And uh-huh. um, But it was interesting because Mom would ch- chime in from the back every now and then said, I'm canceling your vote. <laughs> 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 well, two more questions. The first one is, what question have I not asked you that I should have asked you about this? Uh, you did, I made some notes before we started speaking, and then you know, the only other thing, if we were going to speak about it at all, and I don't know if it's a good idea, is about how the, the our parties have been pushed also into these different camps. We can talk about uh, that. Yeah, let's put it out there. Individuals, we've become more partisan and more uh, less across the aisle reaching. And uh, one of the things I've done some thinking about is... I think that Planned Parenthood has done to the Democratic Party what the National Rifle Association has done to the Republican Party. That's an interesting observation. Explain yourself. Well, you know, Planned Parenthood, it, as people started to... It, it, back in the 1990s, there was a good portion of the Democrats who were against abortion. And there was like something like 30% of, of office-holding Democrats were against abortion. And that started to not pass the purity test of the people who vote in the primary. And gun ownership on the other side. Uh, it used to be that there were people in the Republican Party who would, were willing to talk about what limitations on gun ownership were reasonable. Uh, and now it's become a, a litmus test about whether or not you can run for a Republican Party post. If you're not in favor of letting somebody own all the guns they want, you're... The- and, and everybody owning all the guns that they want, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, on the Democratic side, you know, it, it gets... I, I think there are a lot of people that uh, agree with many of the Democratic issues who vote on the abortion issue. And so it, it becomes more and more polarized. So I think that right now, the, each, each party has benefited from that relationship in some ways. I wouldn't be sad to see both those attachments dissolve. Okay. I can see that. And it seems to be happening, at least maybe not voluntarily, but the NRA seems to be imploding right now. And uh, Planned Parenthood has 
essentially been defunded, uh, except for, you know, personal gifts and things like that. Uh, there is no longer any government support, at least in many states, Texas, for one. There's Depending on how the Supreme Court goes, if they overturn Roe v. Wade, that would be that issue imploding, at least on the national level. It would then switch to a state level, which I would be pleased to see. Regardless of my individual opinions, I think it would be good for the country if both these issues stop dominating party politics, national party politics. Uh, what what else am I forgetting to ask? Surely I forgot to ask something else. I mean, and I say that because I have very little preparation for this interview, other than the, the first yeah, two questions. Me, we've covered we've covered everything I, I I had written down. Is there anything keeping you up at night? I would I would say I think that one of the reasons that people are voting early is so they can quit thinking about it. <laughs> You know, did you vote yesterday? My wife did. Your wife uh, did. I would vote yesterday, but I'm going to vote Friday. I'm going to get it done. Yeah, uh, but Tia and I went down to the. Uh, we have a morning walk every morning, and we just extended it to go to City Hall and and stand in line when the polls opened, and with about sixty five or seventy other people, and uh-huh. then walked back. We kind of, since it's a little longer than our normal walk, we were as we were leaving, we were thinking, man, one of us should yeah. have dri- one of us should have driven because we stood in line for a while and. By the time we were, yeah. and, and you know, I always I was trying to make the point earlier, as subtly as I could, that Trump's incivility is not helpful. Calling people names, calling people monsters, or saying that they're stupid if they don't agree with him. And uh, I really, God, if I have to listen to that guy for another four years, I may blow my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I have talked semi-seriously about immigrating to Mexico. <laughs> we, we have a sketched out plan. That there, there's the, the, That's yeah. all there is. <laughs> we can get away to Mexico where they have their shit together, right? Well, seemingly, right? <laughs> I have a friend who lives down there now who, who moved down there about five years ago, and he said, man, I am so glad I'm here now instead of there. <laughs> you know, it's not all that great. There's, he's got lots of problems, and there are lots of issues that he has to deal with, but craziness. Yeah. At the top of the at the top of the government, didn't want them. So, well, Doctor Elwood, thank you very much. This has been a, a very pleasurable conversation, and um, I hope some of my audience, I hope some of the audience gets something out of it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're it, it was very interesting, and it, it causes one to think. Yes, it does. A reminder: you can find the Ragged Edge on Apple Podcasts or wherever you look for shows like this. If you like the show, rate it and review it. Every positive review helps listeners find us, and, well, we like that. The Ragged Edge is a production of RTS Connect, where public-facing organizations will find help to make their point, then stay on point. Info at rtsconnect.org. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Digital Broadcasting. Join Black Sparrow's Patreon and give these wonderful free-range DJs a boost. Patreon.com slash Black Sparrow. Opinion expressed on the Ragged Edge are those of the speakers and now don't necessarily reflect those of KBSR. Original music composed and performed by Ryan Stone. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Ragged Edge. See you next week.